0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is an organic farmer, investor, and host of the Parallel Systems broadcast, having spent most of his adult life in Britain while working as a counselor and competing as an endurance athlete, he and his wife immigrated to Poland to focus on living a more self-sufficient and decentralized life. Please welcome to the show, Parallel Mike. Mike, how are you? Very good. Nice to speak with you, Mikkel. Thank you for the invite onto the show. Pleasure is all mine. Very happy to have you here. Why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your background? I want to understand, you know, the big move to Poland and kind of where this came about and all of your interest in decentralized and self-sustaining living.
1: Yeah. So I guess my story was pretty much average. You know, I went to university, graduated in my career, went into the career that I hoped to be in and did that for about a decade. I was also an endurance athlete throughout that time. So I went part-time in my career to pursue professional sports. I was a ultra runner, was very good at that. Unfortunately, I got injured. So I went back to my career and realized the kind of midway through that next, let's say, four or five years, that the world was taking some very strange turns, that the future was probably not going to be as bright as the past. And it was going to be very important to have some self-sufficiency, some wealth stored away. So I decided to take myself from being an athlete somebody that was putting in 40 hours a week training to somebody that was putting 40 hours a week uh, learning how to invest and learning the markets and different cycles decided to transition because of course i couldn't do my sport anymore so i spent the next say seven or eight years doing that was successful and then kind of set up our plan along the way with my wife to how are we gonna create that self-sufficiency what do we want to do what does the future look like and that was organic farming having our own plot of land, our own animals, our own well, self-sufficiency. My wife's Polish, so we decided to do that in her home country rather than my country, which was Great Britain. We kind of got tired of the the way it was going over there. wasn't looking great, so that's what we did. And that's what we've been doing the last few years. I'm sat here on my farm now. We've just been working in the gardens, and now I'm talking to you.
0: Amazing. So I have not been following Poland over the last couple of years. How were they during the times of lockdown and COVID and all of this insanity?
1: You know, I moved during that time. Funnily enough, we got, you know, we got our timing just wrong. We knew something was coming, let's say 2019. We knew it was very close. We knew that there was a big event on the horizon. We didn't know what it was. So we started to make our preparations to move. And I was actually meant to be coming to look at a farm the week that they locked everyone down in Great Britain for the first time or whatever they called it. that was when I was meant to be here. So we was like, wow, we just missed it. It's happened. You know, what we expected to come uh, was here. But we did get here kind of later that year, I'd say it was towards the back end of summer. And it was pretty much like everywhere else. Everywhere was locked down. The rules were ridiculous. They were asking people to wear masks outside for a period. Of course, you know, I didn't follow any of the rules, never took a single test the entire period. The borders were closed for a time. I crossed the borders many times. We went traveling around Europe. Just disregarded it all and never got stopped by a police officer, never got a fine, never got anything. So was it being enforced? I don't know. I've heard stories that it was. But as far as we were concerned, we continued as normally as we could. But it was very strange. Everywhere was closed. Uh, Restaurants were getting police. Well, there was a local restaurant, actually, and he opened during the lockdowns. He refused to do it. And you could go in there, eat a meal, sign a contract where he employed you for an hour You ate the meal, then you could give a donation. The the, the donation was just so happened to be the price of the meal. In fact, I was tipping him about three or four times to support him for what he was doing. But he did get raided by the police a few times. So they were policing businesses. I do know that. But as an individual, I never got policed.
0: Well, it's very interesting because on paper, the entire world was locked down and everyone was doing what they were supposed to do. And if you look at any of the statistics or anything like that, But talking to different people around the world, the situation on the ground was often very different. Might be the like officially these were the rules, but was it enforced as you had mentioned? And were people actually following along? I mean, in a lot of places, that's it was very different things, especially in kind of Eastern Europe region and some of the going into the Asian countries along the borders there. I've heard a lot of stories of people saying, now, no one's been taking the vaccine or official numbers is that everybody is vaccinated. Everybody went through all of this stuff, but the real life numbers are drastically less.
1: Well, the official numbers in Poland are some of the lowest in Europe. They was talking officially of about 50%. So you can knock at least 10, 15% off that. So it's a very skeptical country. And that is very much a result of its history. Remember, Poland was occupied by the Soviets until 1989. So they've got big suspicions around these utopianist kind of agendas that are very global having said that people are also very quiet in their disobedience because again if you lived in a totalitarian state from 1945 to 89 you had to for the most part go along with the script and i think people did that that's the way i saw it people publicly appear i was like why nobody doing anything And then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, they're used to this, you know, I guess older generations are used to going, I mean, my parents-in-law, they had to go to parades and wave Soviet flags. You didn't get a choice, you know, you had to go do it. So this was similar. It was just like that. It was just like totalitarianism. But once you got into people's houses, once you got behind the front door, then everyone was, we was having big family meals, everyone was acting like normal. So I think that's just part of it. And You know, I would have liked to have seen more public pushback. When I went out without a mask, generally I could walk for a couple of hours and not see a single person without a mask. And if you did see one, it was like, wow, somebody's, you know, not doing this stupidity. However, it's up to each person to make their own decisions on that one. And I think ultimately, if you look at the vaccine rate, that tells you the story of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's always interesting as an expat and as a foreigner living in a different country. And then it's like, well, what are you going to participate in? I mean, you may or may not have a very strong legal standing for being in the country. And then do you want to jeopardize that by protesting and things like that? I don't think that a lot of these protests, I'm not sure how well a lot of them work. I've seen the ones that have been going on in lots of places in Europe, and I'm not sure, like I I fully support them. I think it's great what they're doing. I'm not sure that the powers that be give a damn, though. I mean, I think that we can protest all day long. And I don't think that's going to change their mind. I I truly believe that they're evil and sick. And I don't think they have any heart or care whatsoever.
1: I mean, protesting is a funny one for me. I've never been a protester as such. I was when I mean, when I was younger, Mikel, I was actually a leftist. I mean, you don't go into psychotherapy and counseling unless you're a leftist. I mean, there isn't really any right wing people that are going into those things. And I used to go to protests. I mean, I was all the way left. I was a vegan when I was in my 19, like, nineteen, twenty, and I used to go to animal rights protests and all of that. However, the more I matured, the more I became disillusioned with these mass movements and protests in general. I certainly support people that go to protests. However, and I did go to one myself just because I thought I have to go and just check it out and just to be there, you know, to show my face. But... Yeah, I I think the problem with the protest for me personally as an individual is it's almost like you're trying out for the system to change things. That generally seems to be the vibe. Now, it's not for everyone. Some people go just to oppose the system. But for me personally, I don't think the change comes from within the system. I think the system has to break. I think we're on the way to a catastrophic collapse. And everything that's happening is about trying to steer the direction where we go after that. They're trying Because there's going to be this vacuum of power Once this thing comes down and they're trying to quickly fill that with this new system, whatever that's going to be, we have some insights and we can talk about that if you want. But at the end of the day, there's going to be the vacuum and that means everyone's got a chance to express themselves in new ways, take us to a new destiny. And I guess with these protests, I'm all for protesting, but I think we also need to understand that this system's not going to change and the way we change it is more like, I would say, the truckers' protest that we saw in Canada. Now, now that's the real protest because you're actually doing something. You know, It's not just showing your face, it's saying, no, we control these roads, we control the infrastructure, you need us. And I think that's the effective way to protest.
0: Yeah, very well said, very well said. Because I have seen activists throughout my life as a libertarian and trying to change the system from within and people who have dedicated their lives for 10, 20, 30 years to this, and they've gotten nowhere. And I'm just thinking, this is not the path forward. This is just, you can't play their games. It is completely rigged. And I think you're disillusioned if you think that you're going to change the system from the inside. I think that the name of the game is is Leave. I truly believe it's leave and, and go somewhere else and build something of your own. And as far away as possible and in a place that doesn't, have the force and control that a big country like the UK or the States or Canada or, you know, with these massively authoritarian type of governments and the power and the resources to make it happen. I often say on this program, I want my governments to be impotent. I want an impotent government. I want a government that just can't get it up. They can't get it straight and they can't fuck you with it. And it's like, that is the path forwards. go to somewhere where it's completely, they can't get their stuff together. And then from there, build your life, build your own communities, enjoy your life, spend time with like-minded people. And as you had said earlier, in growing your own food, being less reliant on a lot of the systems that are already in place, build your own systems.
1: Yeah, I think that's how you do it. You just subvert their systems at every opportunity. And remember, a lot of the things that they claim to desire for example, they say, right, we want a greener future. And it's like, really? You want a greener future? Okay, well, I'm going to take all my energy off grid. You're not going to be able to touch it. You know, if you bring down the grid, if it switches off, you have no control over that. And then they say, you know, we or we want people to be healthy and to be eating good food. And we want to make sure there's enough food. Oh, fantastic. I'll grow some gardens. I don't need to use your food. Don't need your fake meat. Don't need any of that stuff. And No matter which way they spin it, there is a way that you can take back control over it. And you can play along with the game. You can say, okay, fantastic. I'm doing everything you wanted me to do. But if you notice, Mikhail, they're not telling people to plant gardens. They're not planting more community fruit gardens. If around where we live, that still happens. So if you go to the local school, the kids are planting fruit trees every year. And then the next generation of kids that go to that school eat the fruit from the previous generations. It's free food. And I was driving recently and there was a community fruit garden full of fruit trees. So that's still happening here, which is one of the reasons why I love Poland. But uh, most of the world, it's not happening. And we know that it's about control. So I think the way you subvert it is you don't have to go and burn down buildings. You just actually start to build something decentralized for yourself. And then really important, you find other people that are doing the same. You spread the message. I mean, I'm not somebody who's for just running away from it because no matter where you go, it's going to find you. This is a global thing every country is going to be involved. Yes, there's going to be pockets of freedom where you have maybe an extra 20, 30 years just because the infrastructure is not there, the governments are too corrupt, the mafia are in control. And fair enough, those places might be worth going to to give yourself that space to flourish and to build those communities. But I also think you have to think about your children's generation, your grandchildrens, your great-grandchildren. If we allow this to go to its full, full expression, which I don't think it will anyways, I think it will collapse, but... If we don't push back, then, of course, it could very well be that this is the last generation that sees any real freedom where you can move around and you can make those decisions. So, you know, I say find yourself high ground to fight from. That's the best thing you can do. And that involves decentralizing.
0: No, absolutely Agree with you. I also think it's very funny when I have a lot of my American clients who are like, we're going to move to Florida for more freedom. I'm like, okay, Florida is a great state inside the United States, but you still have the federal government. And the federal government is as dirty and as corrupt and as evil as any. So we can move to a different place. And it is important to do so, but we still have to look at the overall structures. So I think that a lot of countries that are not as developed, I think will give us that 20 years, 30 years to get all of the systems in place. Because right now it's a mad scramble. It's just unbelievable how many people are leaving. We're trying to get them set up in good places. But it does take time to build all of these parallel societies and, and the infrastructure. And it takes a certain responsibility for people to learn the skills and understand these things. But there's this mental block for a lot of people, I think, who don't want to come to terms with what is happening in the world. And 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 I feel bad for some people because I think it is very apparent what's happening. I don't spend all my day going down the rabbit hole and researching about all of the bad things. I spend all of my time trying to find the solutions, but it doesn't take too much reading research or or looking to understand that there's some dark days ahead of us.
1: Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, if you look at the financial system, purely isolate that from the rest of it, then, okay, that's going to collapse. You know, there's no way out of the debt spiral that we're in. Global debt has to be done away with at some point. And there's only two ways you do that. You just either have a debt collapse or a hyperinflation, and then a debt collapse, and they're gonna go for the hyperinflation. We was predicting the inflation rate going up two, three years ago. Once COVID hit, I said, right, they're monetizing the debt, they're pushing this money into an economy that's slowing down, whilst we've got supply chains broken or at least ceased for for supposedly for COVID measures. And of course, you you know that inflation is going to come. And they had to push more money into the system because in 2019, it was starting to fall apart. And now it's falling. That money, all of that money that they printed in the US, for example, they increased the money supply by, what, 40%. And then just two years later, we're going into a recession. You know, that's how long it buys them, increasing the monetary supply by a couple of trillion and it gives them, you know, the debt ceiling got raised when I think the debt ceiling got raised last time it was in December 2021. And literally now they're talking about raising it again. You know, that extra two trillion is just gone. That's what it is now. It's just pumping the system full of money. So even if you just look at it from a purely financial point of view, this can't go on and it has to end. And that means we're going to be having a reckoning now. If you look at things out from, like, say, a 10,000-foot view, you've also got Thucydides' trap, you've got China rising, you've got global conflict. you've got the U.S. trying to hang on, fighting tooth and nail for its hegemony, which it's not going to keep, but it's going to do like the British did and just go to war to try and keep it. So all of these things are just coalescing, and now you've got this future ahead of you, and you're like, oh, my God, like, how am I going to live through this? Well, we're going to live through it. So, you know, you better start taking precautions, getting prepared, and I think once you do that, you can also then just take a step back and say, well, I've done what I can and let the chips fall where they may because that's life. We get to live through these crazy times. And if you can maneuver yourself and you can foresee things, you know, if you're good at spotting the future a little bit and getting your timing there or thereabouts, you can say, right, where I am today, it's not looking so good now, so, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I I think you need to see the future as um, uncertain and accept that, embrace it and be willing to get ready to move if you have to. I mean, I've got a war on the border of this country. Clearly, the U.S. is going to try and throw every other European nation into a war, if it can, because why not? You know, it's, it's no skin off the U.S.'s nose. So, you know, you have to think ahead and say, what would I do in this situation? At what point do I leave? That could happen in South America. Looks fantastic down there now. But if you go back to World War II, people were fleeing Europe to the Pacific Islands, perhaps, thinking, fantastic, I'll go on a beach, it'll all be great, and then you got bombed to hell. So I think just always look into the future. It's never been more important. It's never been more dangerous time in history, really. But we've also still got a lot of freedom and a lot of options, particularly if you've done just a little bit of preparation in the past few years and got yourself financially secure enough.
0: Yeah, definitely. The way that I try to make my clients, my private clients look at things is that we're not trying to find Shangri-La. We're not trying to find the place that has all the freedom and is going to tick every single one of the boxes and is going to be perfect for you. Because to be honest with you, it doesn't exist. I mean, it's just not out there. What we're trying to do is, as you had said, see the future, make some changes, try to get as prepared as we can. And then the way that I look at it is to look at the situation and then go, okay, well, what if I am wrong? What if I'm wrong about the country that we picked or the jurisdiction or the area? I want to have some contrarian type of plays in there as well as plan B's and plan C's. Now, plan B and plan C doesn't have to be as strong as our new plan A, but I do think it's important to diversify through a couple of different regions. And the regions have to be very different. They can't just be more of the same because that's not really going to help you through all of these things. So I spend a lot of my time trying to think about what if i'm wrong about this what if i'm wrong about that what can we do to still protect and, and hedge against the downside
1: yeah and you know it's not so easy moving to a new place and it's not during hard times if you're a stranger uh, you're not a native that in itself is a huge huge risk you know if you go to a country and you're a gringo people know that and during hard times really hard times which is what's coming people look to other other people. You know, they don't like strangers during those times. History is full of this. So, you know, you have to factor that in too. So there is also an argument for staying where you are if you've got some kind of security there, if it's your native language, if you can maneuver yourself around that place. It's no good just going to another country and sitting in a small expat community that's full of people with a load of wealth because let me tell you, if that society breaks down, you're done for, you'll be toast. You know I mean? So you have to in my opinion, you have to integrate into a society. For sure. You know, when I came here, I didn't say, right, I'm going to move into this little British community. Where we moved, we didn't know anybody, you know, just right in the middle of a tiny Polish settlement. And we got to know all of our neighbors. We, we went out and we made those efforts. And I think that's what you have to do. So you become part of the furniture there. And I think that's the way to do this is to, to see it as a real lifestyle change, not just trying to transport and transplant the life you had, into a new place, like a holiday or something. I, I think that mindset's doomed to fail. Uh, it has to be really a, a kind of shift in your expectations and maybe in your lifestyle. You know, this, this should be something like, no, I'm going to make changes too. It's not just about changing the, the location. Me as an individual will change with that and lend the local customs, you know, fit in. When in Rome, do as the Romans do.
0: For sure. I had dinner with a private client last night and we were talking about the different areas in Panama City where I am. And he said, oh, do you live in the expat area? I'm like, oh, I live in the middle of an area with all Panamanians. I'm the only foreigner here. And I learned Spanish and my family learned Spanish and we have Panamanian friends and we go out for dinner with them on a regular basis. And we're just part of the community here. I think that you're right, that it it's not only a good survival mechanism, but it also shows a lot of respect for the community that you're moving into is to learn the history, the language, the culture, all of these pieces of the puzzle it's not about having a little Canada or a little US or a little Britain in an area and then trying to mark that territory as yours. If you're going to be an expat, and that's what this program is about, is about freedom and, and living overseas, you need to become a part of that community. That's why I don't describe myself as a digital nomad. Although I do travel and I work from a computer and I have an online business. I don't describe myself as a digital nomad because digital nomad for me is somebody who has a very short-term view on these types of things. I've lived overseas in many different countries and as much as I can, I want to understand the people there and their culture. It's not about having their culture fit me, it's about having me fit theirs.
1: No, I think you put it perfectly, Mikhail. That's exactly how I saw it. I mean, I came to Poland because I love the country, I love the culture, I love the history. I like the people here. Everything about this country appeals to me. And, you know, I would stay here for the rest of my life. No problem. You know, I'd be very happy here, just living my simple life in an agricultural community. That's absolutely exactly what I wanted. The only problem is we've got these crazy people who keep messing the fucking things up for us. And, you know, that's, that's the reality. So you've got to face the facts on that one, that things can change quickly. And, you know, I saw this from the other side of the table as well because i was in the uk where we took a lot of immigration and i saw entire communities i mean there's certain cities in the uk where it's dangerous if you're a native english person you're probably not going to want to go there you know and there's entire areas of the city that i grew up in that are ghettos and i've walked down those streets and you don't hear any english nobody i mean they're People have come in and created these little separate communities and you can't go there. And if you do, it's pretty damn dangerous. So when I came to Poland, that's the last thing I would have wanted to do. You shouldn't, you know, to move to a major city like Krakow or Vashava and then spend my time there in these. And I know people that have done this and they don't speak a word of Polish. And yeah, that wasn't for me because I because I think that's extremely disrespectful. And I think what makes a country a country, what makes it you know, gives it the character and the flavor is having all of these cultures and traditions preserved. Poland's done a great job of that. I hope it continues in the future. The people here certainly Mm -hmm. clinging on to it, which is something that unfortunately we kind of lost sight of in the UK. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I I hope it stays exactly as it is. I'm sure it won't because everything changes, but hopefully it retains some of that character that people know and love. I mean, if you go across the world, people always have a fondness for Polish people for a good reason.
0: Well, I even made bigos for dinner about five or six days ago for for any of my listeners of no Polish cuisine. Bigos is amazing. Very, very yummy. No, but you did bring up in a very important point there with the differences between the government and the people, because a lot of people will come to me and say, "Okay, so you're an ANCAP or an agorist or libertarian. And then you talk about all these different countries and you travel and want to go to all these different places. But for me, a country is not the government. The government is just a bunch of sickos off to the side. I mean, that are seizing control. For me, a country is the culture and the history and the people and the language and the food and their traditions and the holidays and all of these things that go into the society. That doesn't have anything to do with the government. The government is just some evil People off to the side. That's two separate things, and I get it all the time as well. My wife is from mainland China, where people will say, "You stand for all these things, but you married for someone from China. Don't you see a contradiction in that?" And it's like, no, not at all. Chinese culture is incredible. It's one of the most rich countries in the world culturally. They've been having a civilized society for thousands of years, and if you study Chinese history it's it's unbelievable the things that have happened there do i like the government right now and what they're standing for no god no but that doesn't stop my love of asian culture or the people or anything like this so we, i think there's always important to try to make a separation between government and the people
1: yeah there is i actually didn't mind the polish government as far as governments go they have the A country in fairly good order. Fiscally, they've done pretty well. They're buying a lot of gold, so they're certainly preparing for the future. I think their gold reserves went up something like 10x in about five years. But there's always going to be problems because politicians are politicians. They're groomed to be in that role. They all serve the masters. That's just the way it is. And the best you can hope for is that you have some that have at least an eye towards the public and an eye towards the everyday man and woman. And I think in Poland, it's probably about as good as anywhere. However, yeah, in the future things can change. Look what happened in Brazil recently. If you was living in Brazil and you was like, "Fantastic Bolsonaro, we love this guy, he's doing great," well, now you've got Lula. You know what I mean? Wef henchmen straight in, and the whole flavor of the country just changes overnight. And like you said, does that mean that you're just gonna flee? Well, maybe, but you know, if you're a Brazilian, maybe not. You know what I mean? You can't just live like that because we're never gonna get the politicians we want. We're always gonna get stooges put in. So I think you've got to, like you said, look towards the people. And that is precisely one of the reasons why I came to Poland is because I said it's an agricultural society. So first and foremost, if they come for the land here, you've got an army of farmers. Most people's wealth here is actually stored in agricultural land. Farmers have kept on to their land. It has been attacked over the past 20 years, but everyone where I live has some land. So if you come and say, right, we're taking back the land for the WEF agenda... Well, you've got an army there. Tractors are rolling into Vashavi. You know what I mean? So you can think more like that as well. What's the community like? And how are they going to react to these things in the future? Are you going to have people stood beside you? Or are you going to have people cowering at home? You know, that's the way I see it. Because at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand personally and say, I've got to live my life. I want to have children. I'm not just going to keep running around the world, hopping countries. I don't think that's going to work. So I think unless your lifestyle threat, find a place where you feel like you can fit in, where you feel the community is going to be stood beside you and then build your life on that, you know, build your house there.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some of the practical things, the things that you've done in your life or some of the things that you've been talking about in your work that really move the needle to ensure that people have these freedoms in our life. Cause we've been talking kind of at a high level Right up until now. But let's dig into some of the nitty gritty things. Like maybe we can start with some of the financial things.
1: Yeah. So I think one thing to think about moving forwards is that the returns that people have seen in assets over the past decade are not going to continue. You know, if you look at statistically what are the expected returns once you've got PE ratios of companies in the 50s and 40s over the next decade, it's very low. And if you look at the mega bubbles that are now in play, and the asset prices are starting to deflate same with property it's going to be very very difficult in the future going forwards for people to make big returns so i would shift focus and shift gears towards wealth preservation and you might be saying well i haven't built enough wealth that's fine you can start to downsize your life really simplify your life is something that i say to people because then you don't need a lot to continue i have always lived by that philosophy i don't upscale my life ever i enjoy living simply so you know once you start to do things like implement very simple solutions like digging a well okay you don't have to pay for water 100 percent free it's not full of poisons it's not full of fluoride it's an outlay but now you've got it the same with the solar system yes There's an outlay. But once you've got that, you don't have to worry if they say there's going to be a cyber pandemic, the grid's going to go down or any other nonsense that they come up with. You don't have to worry about energy bills tripling or quadrupling because they keep printing money. The same with a garden. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes a bit of passion. But you know what? It's fantastic for your health, your mental health. You're out there in nature. That food's going to be organic. It's not going to be full of pesticides. It's not going to be full of poisons. It's not going to be GMO. Again, it reduces the expenditure for you. So all of these things have these like kind of stacked benefits for you. You know, it's not just about health. It's not just about finances. It's about everything combined. And once you do all that, you start to say, yeah, this is pretty good. Life's really good. It's very simple. I really don't need much money anymore to live. And if I had to move country, I've done it once here. I could do it again anywhere. You know, you can take that philosophy and move it somewhere else. So I say start with the simple stuff. And if you can get yourself a bit of land, that's the start, you know, because once you've got space, you can implement these things. If you're stuck in a city, there's so many problems with that going forward. The food supply chain, for one, that's very fragile in the city. If it breaks down, you've got a couple of days before you've got people going crazy. So, you know, that's one thing to think about, social unrest. That's very easy to trigger now. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone can be fed algorithm that gets them all hyped up and all excited. We saw this in 2020. We're seeing it ongoing. Again, do you want to be in a city joining that? Probably not. You want to be in a small community where people just get out there. They're doing nice, simple work. Well, it's not simple. Actually, it's very complex. But, you know, I'm talking about working with your hands in the fields. Nobody can come and mess with that. Nobody can come and take that away, not without a real fight. So I'd say think about it from that perspective, simplify your life. And financially, if you do have some money, then it's, yeah, it's very important to start protecting that. And I would say just purely and simply, and we can go into this as much as you want, but real assets is the key right now because real assets are going to exist no matter what happens to this system. You might have a house, you might have a flat, you might have some farmland, you might have precious metals. All of those things are going to remain. Yes, they might take a haircut at some point. Well, everything's going to take a haircut and the most overvalued things will take the biggest. And if you've still got some wealth at the end of that, well, you
0: can buy them much cheaper than you could, say, five years ago. Schooling for international families has always been a massive problem in the expat space. Families move around, change countries, and the kids never get to build solid relationships. Sometimes families even end up having to head home because there is not a viable option for education. Together with my business partner, Michael Strong, we have a goal to change this. At expatschool.io, we have world-class programs for children between the ages of 8 and 19. Our virtual school is a thriving community of happy, bright, and adventurous children. Go to expatschool.io to learn more about our program for your children or grandchildren. That's expatschool.io, expatschool.io. Well, I had Mark Faber on the podcast recently, and one of the biggest things that he was saying-
1: I love Mark. He's one of the best. I watched that one on your show. Did you? Uh,
0: He's amazing. He's so fantastic. Yeah, I've I've had a chance to get to know him this year and had a few conversations with him, an incredibly intelligent man. And I think that he really does see the future. And what he was saying in the program is that even if your return on investment is zero going forwards, in relative terms, you're going to be way wealthier than anyone else because everyone else is going to lose 30 to 40 to 50% of everything that they own. And if you can lose 0% of what you own, then you're doing much better. So don't be focused on maximizing your returns or speculating on these things to try to eke out the last couple of percent. As you just said to us, Mike, it is all about wealth preservation. That's the name of the game right now. 100%.
1: 100 percent that's what it's about. And if you go back to 1929 when stocks fell up until I think it was around 1933, you lost 85%. Now, if you had your money, let's say, in gold, and even if gold had gone down 20%, well, you're managing to buy those assets at a 65% discount. So it's all relative, all prices are relative. And if you go into a period of deflation, then it's which assets lose the most. You know, like I said, you can lose 20% on your gold, but if everything else is down 90%, you've done fantastic. And you're going to come out of that a much richer person so that's how i say it to people too mark mark gets it spot on every time he's a super bright guy and he's a real character i really like listening to him so yeah i would say the same michael it's just about protecting what you've got being diversified but amongst real assets and if you are going to go into the stock market if you are going to trade options or any of that stuff you know i use options and things like that but it's always about position sizing as the markets get more and more risky And I've been on high risk for about three years, so I've classed them as risky for a long time. And, you know, sometimes you're never going to get this timing perfectly, but it's about making sure that you've never got too much exposure to that really high risk that it's going to be a catastrophic end. If the stock market crashes tomorrow, are you going to be wiped out? If so, you are too exposed to the stock market. The stock market crashes tomorrow, and okay, I've lost 5% of a portfolio, 10%. Well, you're not going to worry about that. You know what I mean? Because everything else will be so chaotic, and so many people will be wiped out. Your 10, 15, 20% loss is not going to look like much. So it's all about position sizing. And I still think there's so much opportunity out there for people. We might be going into these crazy times and all of these things are happening, but there's so much opportunity out there. There's still lots of money out there. If you've got something that you can provide, some skills, some talent, or if it's in the markets, even if you just start to take a bit of time to educate yourself, you know, there's commodity stocks out there. If you look at like the biggest nickel miner on planet Earth, Vale, biggest nickel and iron miner on planet Earth, it's got a P ratio of about four. If you look back at any value investing book, they'll tell you four is undervalued. So even in today's markets, you have got opportunities out there and commodity stocks are going to do fantastically in a stagflation environment. Now, of course, if the market sinks, they'll all go down together, but then the real important stocks, the ones that actually have assets in the ground, those ones are going to rise much quicker. And we saw this with gold in 2008. Gold went down with everything else, but a year or two later, it was all-time high. So it's just about looking at it from that perspective. There is value out there. There is opportunities out there. It's not all doom and gloom, but you do have to just spend a bit of time looking at these things and get some advice, watch my show, watch Mikel's show, listen to Mark Farber. There's no one better than him and you'll do fine.
0: Absolutely. I do think that there's a lot to be said for not just position size, but allocation in different industries. Several years ago, I used to be 70% or 80% of my net worth into equities. I've reduced that drastically. It's probably down at 15%. And I might even take it lower than that. And as you said, the things that are in my portfolio now are foreign dividend paying stocks with real businesses, lots of commodities. It's not Facebook. It's not it's not the Fang stocks and tech companies in the US. I think that those types of businesses, although they might've had huge run-ups in the last decade, I don't think that's the place to put your money. I think it's intangible things right now. But a lot of the money that I'm moving into is real estate, agricultural land, timber, real stuff that you own, that you've got the title deed for and the strongest laws possible, structuring it correctly. And then- sitting and relaxing and waiting. Watch the world burn. And as everybody else loses everything, you just want to be in a good, stable position. If you can make a little bit of rental income or income on the agricultural land, then fantastic. But it's not about maximizing everything. And to your point about allocation size in a portfolio of stocks, yes, have small position sides, but more of them. Don't go all in on one type of bet because if you're wrong on that, you don't want something that's going to devastate your portfolio.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's just about risk management. It's always about risk management and risk management has kind of gone out the window the past decade. People have become seduced by really high returns. You know, some people think it's normal to get a thousand percent return in a year because they've done that with crypto for a year or two, of course, then they get a 1000% loss, but that's just the way it works. You know, these people come and go in the markets. It happens all the time. Most people are very happy during the good times. But as Warren Buffett said, "It's once the tide goes out, you learn who's not wearing their swimwear. And that's what happens. You know, once you get to bad times, all these people that were getting huge returns, they disappear and they lose it all. And I'm not somebody who's ever been looking for fantastic high returns. I look for consistently good returns. And in the bad times, I look to outperform. So that's when I actually specialize. It's the bad times. Uh, and that's a that's definitely been the case the last few years and i have had some years where I've, my equities portfolios are up 50 percent, 60 percent. but that's not from speculating that's literally just in commodity producers value stocks so i say to people there are opportunities out there i just think you have to be a contrarian and go against the consensus go against the crowd and this isn't being a contrarian for contrarian sake, but it is saying that the mass of people generally get it wrong. You know, Throughout history, they generally get it wrong. Right now, people are still hoping that there's going to be another leg to this bull market, and maybe they'll get that. You know, If they pump the system full of money again, yes, there will be a pump. But I always say you're picking up pennies in front of the steamroller right now because once this comes down, it's going to come down so fast and quick, we're going to halt the markets. You might not be able to even get your money out of the system. So just don't go, like we said before, don't go too far into this one. And maybe the good times are over now and you've got to see it that way.
0: Well, so that's another interesting point is capital controls. I, I definitely see that there will be capital controls in different countries in the world coming up. And I think that we really need to be focused on diversifying things now, because when it does happen, it's going to happen really fast. I Just a, a quick anecdote. So I'm Canadian citizen. I help a lot of Canadians leave Canada, and I work with a very small boutique Canadian tax law firm. And I was talking with the lawyer, not not a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. And he was saying that last year in 2022, they had over a billion dollars of capital flight of Canadians that were leaving in their small couple person law firm. They were helping over a billion dollars leave the country. And you think how many law firms are helping people? How many people are fleeing a place like Canada right now and taking all of that capital with them and redeploying it in other countries. And then when you add to that, that these are the most productive members of society, these are the business owners, these are the professionals, these are the doctors and the dentists and the people who have built up this, it's not just the capital flight, it's the human flight, it's the intellectual flight from these countries as well. At what point will the government go enough is enough. We're not going to be able to run things if these people keep leaving and they're going to vilify everyone and they're going to close the doors. They're going to close the doors. They're going to close the windows and they're not going to let anybody out and they're not going to let any of the money out. So it's like we have a window right now to go through these things and to at least get a portion of our wealth in another country and, and set things up because when it happens, it's going to happen fast.
1: Yeah, and they've got the controls in place now. What happened in 2020 and 2021, that was really just a run-through for what's going to happen next time. And next time it might just go on for a long time, it might go on for years. Because they've got all of the condition they've got conditioning into everyone now to just accept it. And all of the people at the airports, they know what to do. We're closing down the airport, all the ports close. You can't leave, you can't come and go. That's already happened. The precedent is set. So that could happen tomorrow. And that is a form of capital controls. And, you know, if you go back throughout history, this has happened. You know, this isn't nothing new. In 1966, they confiscated gold in the UK. So they said, right, you're only allowed to hold, I think it was, four sovereigns or something like this. Then they did capital controls. So you couldn't exchange more than £100 into foreign currency if you wanted to go abroad. So, you know, this is trying to keep capital in the country. And that's what's going to happen in the future. I think we're going to see that very soon. I think we'll see it in Europe, especially. And again, you need to prepare for that. You need to think, right, how am I going to deal with that? You know, what options are available to me and diversify strategies in that one specific area so you're not stuck? Because if you can't get your money out of a country, you know, you can't go anywhere. You are stuck in that country. So all things to think about. Yeah, you need to have a strategy in place for all of them, particularly if you are thinking that at some point in the future, you might have to move. Now, I always say, you know, gold is the currency of choice, because it's the king of currencies. You can go to any country on planet Earth with some gold and exchange it within an hour. And just as an anecdote, I was in a European country. I was in the Czech Republic not so long ago, and I had a pocket full of sterling. So I had loads of notes from sterling that I hadn't got exchanged. And I said, "Oh, I'll take them with me to the Czech Republic when I go on holiday, and that'll pay for my holiday. Well, it was a big mistake, Mikael, because nobody would take them. Every foreign exchange that I went to said, we don't want it. <laughs> and I was like, sterling, this used to be the world reserve currency. <laughs> and it was the second world reserve currency after the dollar still going up into the 1950s. Nobody would take it. So I got a sovereign, which I kept in my wallet to take with me. I always take it now just in case. And I thought, I wonder if I can exchange this sovereign within an hour. I'd found somewhere that would take it and give me spot price. You know yeah. what I mean? So... <laughs> Gold is the king of currencies. Fiat's okay, but I say it's a transitional thing right now. You go into it when you need it and you get out of it as soon as you can.
0: Yeah, and certainly for storing large amounts of wealth, it certainly should not be in fiat right now. People who are sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in a bank account, that's an unsecured liability. That's not your wealth. you got to be unbelievably... Careful right now. Very much a big proponent for precious metals. And I think that they're, in relative terms, very cheap right now as well. I think at gold at just under 2,000 and at silver at 23.50 or 23.60, I haven't checked today, but those are good prices. And I think that anything under 2,000 is a very good buying opportunity. And if you need it, you're going to be glad that you have it because a lot of these fiat currencies will be going to shit i mean there's just no question about it i mean they always make fun of crypto and say these are all the different shit coins and of like well look at a lot of the fiat that's out there in the world as well so i think the same can be said about them
1: yeah no i'm a bit you know there's not many people out there who are more bullish on gold than me and i'm not even a gold bug i'm just somebody who's extremely bullish because i see what's got taking place across the world the new financial system is going to be based around gold it's already happening all of the central banks are doing record buying they're all setting up for the collapse of the next system. And if you look at what the central banks themselves are saying, and the Polish central banker Adam Godpinski, he's pretty outspoken. He always puts his foot in his mouth, and he actually said, "I think it was in 2018." They asked him, "Why is Poland buying so much gold? You just, you know, you you've tripled your reserves. You're going up tenfold. What are you doing?" And he said, "Well, the reason we buy gold is because it's a." option in the future on the system failing and maybe at some point the system's lights go out now i've never heard a central banker speak like this but that's what he said he said maybe there's a global cyber attack and the system goes down so it was pretty radical maybe five or six years ago to be buying so much gold but since then every central bank now is buying lots of gold so they know something's coming china record gold reserves we don't know how much some people say thirty thousand tons Russia, all of the gold that it mines there, it's been putting in its own bank account. So they all know something's coming, Mikhail. I'm not a genius or an expert, but I can spot a trend when I see you on. And nobody wants the dollar. Nobody's taking the British pound. So they're getting rid of fiat, going to gold. I think the writing's on the wall for this one. And at some point, all of these assets that have been pumped into mega bubbles, they're going to have to be revalued against something. And I predict that's going to be gold. And gold's either going to have to come up really it's going to have to be revalued at a much higher level to account for the prices of these assets. All those assets are going to have to come down against gold. And I think it's probably going to be both at the same time. So you'll see, um, a huge, it'll be like an overnight thing. It'll be like, boom, the gold price has been revalued. The system's come down. And, you know, maybe they try and confiscate it or something like that. But I've written about this myself in the 1933 confiscation in the U.S., these are voluntary confiscations, you know, you have to take your goals. So, you know, you can prepare for those things as well. I wrote a guide on that actually for my patrons, But yeah, if you're interested in that stuff, you can check out my channel on my Patreon page. But these are just things to think about. And it's these are the thought exercises you have to go through right now. You know, you have to go through each one. And I think we've gone through a lot just in this show of all the different things that could happen. And what you always do is you eventually get to an end point where you say, right, there's nothing else I can add to that. I've thought it through as much as I can. I've done as much as I can with what I've got now, and then you relax and you just get on with life. That's the way. I, that's the way I do it.
0: Definitely, definitely. I got two young kids at home, so I don't want to spend my entire day just going down the rabbit hole on every t- single thing. I think, like you said, you know, get the things set up, get them set up now, think it through, gameplay it out, see where you might have holes in it. And then go and enjoy your life because we got so much, like a certain amount of time on planet earth. And if we waste it all just researching, 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 and, and trying to figure out what they're going to do next, I mean, that's time that you lose from your life and you'll never get that back. There's no possibility of that. So yes, prepare yourself, but then yes, enjoy yourself and take care of your family and spend time with the people that you want to be with and drink some nice red wine and eat a good steak and Have fun for sure
1: yeah and you know give back you know that's the that's the one thing i'd add to that is give back to others we all go through hardships i've had plenty in my life but there's a lot of people that out there right now that are losing hope fast and i think that's the one thing we can never do is lose hope there is always hope there's always hope times will be better and you know if you're feeling comfortable if you've done all right whatever it is you know if you're mentally sound and everyone else is losing their minds then reach a hand out, do a bit of work for other people, be charitable, be kind, be generous because everyone's struggling with what's going on. And some of us are more prepared and more psychologically prepared for it mentally, I guess, for it than others. So that's the one thing I would add. Yeah, just, you know, and that helps build the community too, build bonds. I'm making friends across the world right now because of what's happened in 2020, that that was not happening before. Now I've got contacts everywhere. I've got contacts in Russia. I've got contacts in Australia, Canada, Mexico. I've got people offering me places to stay in Canada. They're saying, "Right, we've got an end of the world location here. There's ten thousand. <laughs> I don't know. It's got hundreds of thousands of uh, acres over there, and they're like, come across and live there. You know, this is crazy times to be alive, where you've got these kind of connections being made. And I think that energy is growing, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. The more this the more they turn the screw, the more people are going to say, I've had enough and I'm joining you guys because you guys look a lot happier. (laughs) Your lives are actually going pretty well despite this. So, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about too.
0: Well, I like that about you very much because I am also very much an optimistic person. I'm a very upbeat person, very energetic, very happy to be alive and grateful and, and feel very blessed to be alive. I know that there are dark times, but it's important to enjoy ourselves as well. So I like that of you very, very much. And I think that you're 100% right. We need to enjoy ourselves. And this is an opportunity to connect with more people and make a positive impact. And earlier on in our conversation, you said that you believe that this global agenda will fail. And I agree with you. I don't think in the end, in the long run, that this is the end. I think that there is enough people that are waking up and I think that the whatever it is, the technocrats or the WEF or whomever is doing all of these things, I think they've moved too fast and too far. And I think that there will be a reckoning. I think it'll come back around.
1: Yeah, it's too extreme what's going on now. And there is such a thing as natural law. I believe in a creator. I don't believe this is here by accident. Everything is so perfectly, and everything here is perfect. It runs like a clock because it was designed for us to thrive but we were also given free will. God gave us free will, and that means we can choose. We can choose to work within nature's cycles, and therefore, we get to enjoy the abundance that's here. We get to live really great lives whilst we're here, or we can go against nature's cycles, and therefore, nature's going to say, right, at some point, there will be a reckoning. So I don't even think it matters whether human beings at some point all rise up, because nature will correct. You know, you can't go against nature's cycles for long, and if you look back at any spiritual texts, they all tell us, you have to work within those cycles, or you're going to get a great flood. That's what's going to happen. So I just say, right, start building your arc now, because if they keep pushing as they are, and some of the things they're doing now, Mikel, it's crazy, you know, this geoengineering, 5G, complete disregard for the potential consequences of these things, and the pollution that they've done on this planet. And I'm not somebody who's Climate change agenda, mad. But what I am saying is they have done an awful lot of damage here. That is a fact. It's pollution. That's the problem. And all of those things have to be accounted for. There's always an equal reaction to what they've done so i say nature will correct at some point anyways and the people who have the most hubris now well they will be humbled the most once this happens so sit back let it happen of course protect yourself and your family but also you know make no mistake that they are not gods and there is a god and this system is set to self-correct at some point as well so i anticipate that'll happen in the next 20 30 years long before they get to this you know utopia or dystopia as we see it that they Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. trying to build
0: Brilliant. Mike, amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. If my listeners can find out more about your work, your program, your writing, where can we send them?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on YouTube at the Parallel Systems Broadcast. I kind of devote my YouTube channel to finance and I also do some live streams on there where we talk about getting prepared psychologically and practically. I've also got a podcast called the Parallel Mike Podcast. That's where I do deep, deep, deep dives into all kinds of topics. So actually just Tonight's episode goes live in about an hour or so, and that's all about the solar cycles. So that's an interesting one. We talk about the solar cycles and how that influences everything from climate to the financial markets to human behavior. So, yeah, I have quite a varied interest. I did theology as my degree and then went into finance later, so I kind of mixed the two at some point. And, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I've also got a Patreon page, so that's where people can get my financial newsletter. It's an audio newsletter that comes out monthly. I also do monthly zoom calls with my uh, patrons and we have a private telegram group where we're making connections too so all of that's there if you want to check it out
0: fantastic amazing thank you so much mike and i'll talk to you soon thank you michael Super exciting news. We just released our first in a series of expat guidebooks. These are in-depth country guides on how to move to another country, and the first one released is expats guide on moving to Mexico. It took us over two years to compile all the research and write this book on Mexico, and coming in at 475 pages, you can really see how much work has gone into this. It's a complete guide on everything you need to know if you want to move to Mexico, including where to live, immigration, taxes, lifestyle, buying property, how to get a driver's license, and a million other things you would never think you need the answers to. You can find the book directly on Amazon by searching for Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico, or go to expatguidebooks.com, which will take you to our online shop where you will find the book. Go to expatguidebooks.com. That's expatguidebooks.com. Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop Capitalizing on the Globally Recognized Resort Brand Coming.